0: And uh, as you're being seated, I welcome you to turn to the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 2. We're going to continue today in a series uh, journey going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through uh, what is known as the Gospel uh, of Mark. My name's Tom O'Connell. I serve here at Hope as a senior pastor. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'd love to talk with you after our service out in our Welcome Center, which is in, right in the middle of our cafe, uh, which is right out these doors to your right. would love to talk with you, answer any questions. Uh, You might have. But today, as we um, finish up chapter two and move into chapter three, uh, we're going to be thinking about this topic or this theme known as the Sabbath. Um, And even as we uh, think about this word, uh, I'm sure many ideas, uh, probably different ideas, are coming to our minds uh, today. Uh, You might be thinking about a certain day uh, of the week, Uh, even this worship service might be coming to your mind. You might, based on your background, uh, might be even thinking about certain uh, activities that were, uh, let's just say, allowed, things you could do on the Sabbath. Uh, you're also thinking of maybe another list of uh, activities, uh, things you could not uh, do on the Sabbath. And some of you approach this topic really like you've heard about it. Uh, you're familiar, maybe with even the word, but honestly, you have no uh, maybe idea of uh, where it's embedded in the Bible or why it's important. Uh, you haven't really thought much, honestly, about it. So we all approach this topic today of Sabbath with a variety of perspectives and backgrounds uh, and experiences. And here's where we're going to go today as it relates to this topic. We're going to kind of walk two paths, uh, parallel paths. First, we're going to watch how this day, this Sabbath day, uh, in what what Jesus does on this day uh, really is a catalyst for a group of people. Uh, we'll call them uh, religiously devote, devout people—Pharisees, um, uh, teachers of the law, scribes, religious leaders. Uh, maybe we'd call them that. Um, who, based on their interpretation of the Sabbath and what you're to do, are allowed to do and couldn't do. Again, their interpretation, understanding of that. And Jesus is going to do something on the Sabbath, and they're going to want to kill him. That's going to be the decision. They're going to start to plot, not immediately to take his life, but they're going to start putting together plans and working with some other people to take his life, to kill him. And that's the first path we're going to walk. The second path we're going to walk is we need to think about the Sabbath as it relates to you and I today. And and some of you might be, as you think of this word, you might be thinking, that's pretty outdated. That's maybe old-fashioned. Um, that's something of the past, but the idea of Sabbath or practicing Sabbath really doesn't. Does it even matter today? You might be wondering: Does it matter that we would practice the Sabbath or practicing entering, embracing Sabbath? And so that's the second path we're going to walk. What does it mean for you and I today to practice Sabbath, resting, stopping, ceasing? And we'll, we'll talk about that. But first, we need to think about uh, this tension that has just been building, if you've been with us uh, through this series so far, especially in chapter 2 of Mark, this tension has been building between Jesus and these religious leaders, these Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, this, this group of people that devoted their probably their whole life to studying the Old Testament, studying the law, law being the first five books of the Old Testament. This is like all they did. This is their livelihood. This is their life. And, and throughout chapter two, there's just been this butting of heads to get between Jesus and these this group of people, and it has risen in, in intensity. Really, through four questions, four scenes that we've we'll look at the fourth one today. We'll just these are the questions that have just kind of gone through Mark chapter two, and now into chapter three. The first question was they asked, "Who can forgive sins but God alone?" This was the scene where the paralytic was carried on the mat by his, by his friends and there was a crowd in the house and they they, cut a, they tore, a, ripped a hole in the roof and, and I want to say dropped, but they didn't drop their friend. Uh, that would have been really bad. They, they lowered uh, him uh, through the hole in the roof and Jesus, before he healed his legs and back and arms and, and said, pick up your mat and walk. He said, son or child, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, wait a minute, we didn't see this guy do anything to you. Why are you for? And, and they begin the wheels begin to spin, and they they realize what Jesus is saying. He's he's saying I'm God. I I have the authority, and he even says that in the text. I have the authority to forgive sins, and they they ask the question: Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's in Mark chapter two verse seven. And then the second question is this: We talked about this just a few weeks ago. Why why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, these religious leaders they 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 just are their minds are blown that Jesus would he would number one call Levi, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples, but then go into Levi's house and have a meal with him and his friends who are of low reputation. You don't rub shoulders. You don't share a meal. You don't go into the same house as these types of people. Yet Jesus does over and over and over again. That's the sense in the New Testament that he just keeps doing this. This wasn't just a one-time or a mistake, maybe, a lapse in judgment. But he continually moves towards these types of people. And they ask the question, why? Why does he eat with them? So the tension just keeps building. Last week, we talked about this question. How is it that John's disciples, John the Baptist, and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not, Jesus. Like, we're, we're fasting. We do this at least two days a week, and yet you guys are here at this meal. You're stuffing your face with food. When you should be like us, and you should be fasting. Fasting. And so they ask this question about fasting. And so the the, the tension just continues to rise between Jesus and these these religious leaders, the Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law. And before we get to the fourth question, that again, really is the tipping point. There's been tension, but when we get to the the verses here in chapter 2 and 3 today, this question, this issue of what takes place on the Sabbath is a tipping point. And they go from just asking the questions to we need to take his life. So before we get there to that question, let's start in verse 23 of chapter 2. I hope you have it in front of you. If you don't, again, the words will be projected so you can follow along. Verse 23, it says, one Sabbath. So we don't know exactly uh, the time of day. All we know is the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath is from sundown on Friday, sundown on Saturday. That's the 24-hour period known as the Sabbath here in, in Mark chapter 2. So one Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain and lo and behold, who's there? The Pharisees saw him and they asked this question, look, why are they doing what is unlawful, picking heads of grain on the Sabbath? You get the sense that the Pharisees just didn't happen upon Jesus and his disciples that day most likely they have begun to some degree watching, observing him. They're not just crossing paths in the grain field and happen to observe Jesus' disciples picking heads of grain as they go through the grain field. But they are most likely paying very close attention to what he does and how he lives and what his disciples disciples do is really reflection on the teacher. So they're doing it. We don't know exactly if Jesus, it says they're doing it. Jesus maybe isn't picking heads of grain, but their decisions are a reflection on him. So why are they allowing him to, why, why are they doing something that is unlawful on the Sabbath? And then Jesus answered them. He answers this question. Have you, have you never read what David did, he, what he and his companions w- did when he were hungry and in need? Now, verse 25, that the phrase there, have you never read to this group of people Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, was a bit of an insult. Of course they've read it. They probably could quote or tell you, this is where it's located. They know it, but they don't necessarily understand the meaning or the significance of what uh, Happened there, and what we're not going to read, go back to First Samuel twenty-one, uh, but what he's talking about here is a time when David, David, uh, King David, or who would become King David, uh, is fleeing for his life. Saul is trying to kill him, and David and his men are running for their lives. They come to the tabernacle. They are famished. They are hungry. They need something to eat, and all that's there is what's called the sacred bread which uh, every Sabbath, 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes, representing God's presence, was put there on the altar. And at the end of the week, until the the next Sabbath, those loaves of bread sat there. And at the end of the the next Sabbath came, and the fresh loaves of bread were brought, then the priests, the priests were the only ones who could eat that bread, that consecrated sacred bread. But David and his men are famished, and they eat the bread, David and his men. Eat the bread that day in 1 Samuel 21. And Jesus goes back to this Old, old Testament reference to say there was need there. They, they're famished. They had to eat. And yes, the law said they, only priests could, but in that in the need of the men overshadowed what the law said. And they ate, they ate the bread. And it says, and that's what uh, Jesus talks about. In the days of are the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus adds this uh, uh, statement here. He says, and then he said, the Sabbath was made for man, but not, ma- but not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And we'll come back to those two verses in a moment. But let's read the context of the Sabbath. Like these religious leaders, what is their framework for understanding the Sabbath, what you could do and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And it comes from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is, a part, this is the 10 commandments, one of the re, uh, recordings of the 10 commandments in the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, here's what it says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's to be different, unique, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your works, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, your maidservant, or your ox, you got to talk about your animals, uh, your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the aliens within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest, stop, cease as you do. And here's the context of the Ten Commandments. Here's the context of the law. People, the Israelites are getting ready to enter the promised land and God is saying, here's how I want you to live. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. 400 years they were in slavery. When you, In slavery, there was no day off. There wasn't a weekend, a long weekend. As a slave, you worked every day as long as your master wanted you to work. So they're coming out of slavery. They're coming out of this culture where you just work all the time. You don't stop. And what God is saying, based on even the pattern of creation, when he created in six days and then rested on the seven, he said that's going to be the pattern for my people. It will work six days, and on the seventh day, it'll be different. It'll be unique. They'll stop. They'll cease. So what the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the teachers of law, the scribes, what they've done, what they did, excuse me, was they took this command, which is a good thing. This command is a good thing. But what they did was they took this command, and what they did was they tried to define, or they did, and from their minds a perspective, defined work. What does it mean to work on the Sabbath? And their heart behind it, I think, is good. They, they want to, this is a different day, it's a holy day. We're to be different, live differently on this day. And over the years, laws and rules and regulations developed so that in their extra-biblical writing, they had 24 chapters devoted to the Sabbath. 24 chapters of what you could do and what you can't do. And now they've looked at their job as to help people follow those rules and regulations. So, what are they when they are upset that Jesus' disciples are picking heads of grain? What what do they interpret? Work. More uh, specifically, harvesting. They consider what the what Jesus' disciples are doing there in the grain field as work. And you weren't allowed to work. It's to be holy. It's to be different. And that's why they're upset. They call it unlawful that they'd be doing what they're doing on this day. They could do it any other day of the week, but on this day, you can't do that. And Jesus, again, he shares about David, and then he shares uh, again that Sabbath in verse 27 the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying is the Sabbath is a gift to be received a gift to be embraced a gift to mankind not it's not to be a burden that am i doing it right am i following the rules am i working am i not working and that's that's the sense that the religious leaders these pharisees th- there was a burden upon people's backs the sabbath are you keeping it right are you fo- is it holy and then Jesus says this in verse 28. So the Son of Man, the first, last time he said this, call, uh, used this title, the Son of Man, was when the paralytic was healed and forgiven of a sin. So I'm sure they made the connection with what it, some of these Pharisees, probably even there that day in the house. But he says the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's it's almost like Jesus pulled out. Wait, I have in my back pocket here. This is my God card. you know, like, the, the, the thing we're talking about here, Sabbath, this was my idea. I know you've set up rules and, and regulations, and I know right now it seems to you, to you, based on your interpretation, that my disciples are breaking this. But they're not. I am even the Lord overall. I, I, I'm, I have authority over the Sabbath. And it's a gift for people, my people, to enjoy and not be burdened by. So that's one scene. The next scene happens again on the Sabbath. We don't know if it was the next Sabbath or a few weeks later. We don't know exactly, but all we know it's another Sabbath day. It's not the grain fields. Now we're in the synagogue. Verse three, or excuse me, chapter three, verse one. Another time he went into the synagogue. The last time he was in the synagogue was when the man was possessed by the evil spirit and Jesus set the man free. Most likely he's back in Capernaum. That's where he spent on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And there was a man there with a shriveled hand or deformed hand. And some, and the, that some is most likely the, this group of Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, most likely that is the some, the, the group there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They're, they're looking for evidence. They've already made up, I believe they've already made up in their minds to some degree, we have to do something about this guy. But they need evidence. They, they can't just you know, decide, to, they don't even have the authority to kill someone, to execute someone. They have to go to other people to help execute. If Jesus can be executed, killed, they need other people's help to have authority to execute people, to kill people. So they need evidence to give to them. Here's why you should crucify him. So they're looking for a reason to accuse him. And notice, just like in the grain field, they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They have no doubt that Jesus has the power and authority to heal. They know, they know he can do it. They've seen it happen. What they're wondering is, is will he do it today? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Is he going to do it today? Is he willing to do it today? And they're watching. And this man with the shriveled hand is there, and I, what we're going to read next is what Jesus, uh, what he does and what he says. And, and it's not um, haphazard what Jesus does. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's what's gonna happen. He knows exactly what he's doing as he calls this man forward and has him stand up. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. He could have taken him out back. Let's go, let's get away from the crowds. You know, let's talk after the service is done. Meet me around back. Or or he could have said, Come back tomorrow. Let's meet up the next day. But instead Jesus has this man with a shriveled hand stand right uh, in front I want everyone to see this. I'm not going to hide you. I'm not going to hide what I'm going to do. I want you to see this. So he looked at it says when Jesus at, and then Jesus asked them these questions. What is lawful on the Sabbath? What do you say is right to do, okay to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? They would say you can do good to a degree. To an extent. But don't do too much. Because that's breaking it. Or, he says, to save a life. Or to kill. What is lawful? What can, a, what can we? How do you understand the law? And what is lawful to do? Right to do on the Sabbath. Now they would say, you can save a life. They would say, absolutely. If someone's life is in danger, you can save them. But if it's not, like this man... His hands just shriveled. He can come back tomorrow. And that's okay. Let's come back the next day. And they say nothing. They remain silent. But he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed and the stubborn hearts. They, there's just no bending. They're not going to change. It's almost like we talked last week about the old wineskins. They're, they're dry and they're inflexible and they're not going to, they're stubborn. They won't bend. So Jesus, he sees, he looks at them in anger. It's an interesting study as you go through the New Testament to notice the people that Jesus is angry, gets angry towards. He's angry towards them. They won't, they, they're missing what God designed. And he just says to the man, he doesn't touch the man, he doesn't adjust the man's hand, he doesn't make a compound that would have been considered work and put it on the man's arm or hand to heal it. All he does is speak. And he says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And verse 6 in the, uh, in the original Greek starts with immediately. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. The Herodians are a political group that affiliates with Herod. And it's good to know that the Pharisees and the Herodians typically were bitter enemies. You have the religious group and a political group. They didn't get along. But now they do. Why? They have a common enemy. And the Pharisees know they don't have the authority to cause a man to be executed. They need people that do, and the Herodians do. So it says immediately, they leave that place and they begin to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It's it's interesting, even you think of what they're doing on the Sabbath day, when Jesus just asked the question, what is lawful, to do good, or to do evil, to save a life, or to kill. And here on this day, the Sabbath day, they are doing evil and they're plotting the man's death on the Sabbath day. And this, well, Jesus isn't going to be uh, crucified immediately. We've got about eight chapters before that happens. But we're going to watch this plot thicken as we continue on through Mark. We see here Jesus continually. As it relates to these religious leaders, these uh, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law continue to tear apart, pull away, dismantle their theological boxes that they have got in. His actions, his behavior, the way he does things makes them uncomfortable. It goes against the grain, what they've been taught, the way they read the scriptures. And Jesus is continuing to dismantle their theological boxes. It's a confusing and painful process when God dismantles our theological boxes. I want us to be careful when we think about the Pharisees, sometimes we can think, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. But let's have a humble posture and realize there are many times we can, all of us, myself included, we can be just like the Pharisees. Wait a minute, God, that's not how you're supposed to do things, it's not how it works. And it might make us uncomfortable, but God wants to continually help us evaluate our theology and what we believe about God and how we live out our faith. And this is also, it's not just about theology here. There's also issues of power that are happening behind the surface here. These people have, are in positions of power and authority. And the way Jesus is doing and what he's teaching is causing their power to kind of slip through their fingers and they don't like it. And also the government leaders don't like it. So that's why they're able to work together to crucify this man. So we'll watch this take place over the next few, several chapters, I should say. That's the first path. The next path we need to just think about for a few moments is the Sabbath. Like, does this, does this matter to us today? Practicing Sabbath, embracing Sabbath, acknowledging Sabbath is important for us today. Um, you know, we might think it's outdated, it's old-fashioned, it's kind of something of the past, it's run its course, but today, here, and you know, where we live and in our lives, like, does it matter? Does Sabbath matter? And today, I, I believe it does, and I believe Sabbath is needed now more than probably ever. Sabbath is needed now more than ever, and I don't want to get into necessarily the conversation about, you know, uh, what certain day is the Sabbath and those types of things, and even necessarily get into like activities, what is allowed, not allowed, those types of things, but what I want to just for a few moments to just talk about is the importance of you and I embracing the practice of Sabbath. Why is practicing Sabbath important? If it, if it matters today, Why? There's a lot of different reasons. First, Sabbath helps us embrace the gift and their gifts of limits. I don't know about you, but I have a love hate relationship with limits. I love them, but at the same time, I don't like them. I don't like realizing I can only do so much. I don't know about you, but when I get on the highway and I see that first speed limit sign, You can look at it a few ways. That is the limit, and that's where I'm going to stay. But then there's the train of thought. Oh, you got about five over? Depending on the highway or state you're in, 10 over? It's a suggestion. It's not really a limit. But then you see those blue lights behind you and they remind you that it's, it's not a suggestion. It's, it is a limit. And if there's consequences if you go beyond that limit. But we have this love-hate relationship. And what Sabbath reminds all of us, whatever your capacity might be, some of us have a greater capacity energy, skill set to do certain things and others, but whatever your capacity and my capacity is, we all have limits. We are human beings, not robots, that can just do, 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 and keep going and keep going and keep going. We can try, but there's gonna come a point, whether it be with our health, our emotions, I mean, all sorts of things can happen. Sabbath helps us embrace limits. It also reminds us where our trust lies. It's not in what we do, but it's in who God is. Think about the original context of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Most of those people were farmers. So they're working the land. They're tilling the soil. And if you have farmers who are friends, you know as you've been to their farm or hung out with them, like there's always something to do on the farm. It never stops. So imagine reading Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15 as a farmer saying, okay, you want me to work six days and on the seventh day do nothing. What about my crops? What about my animals? What, well, who's going to take this? care of this? Who's going to take care of that? And in a way, God is saying, trust me. This is better for you to stop and to cease Sabbath helps us embrace limits that we can only do so much. We have moments. We have to pause. We have to stop. It reorients our trust in God. So how? How do we practice Sabbath? What does it mean to practice Sabbath? Again, reminding ourselves that Sabbath is a gift. It is a gift that God has given to his people. That this is the rhythm I want for your life. That you will work hard, give it all you can, whatever your work might be, whether you are uh, uh, um, um, uh, running a company, or you are a stay-at-home mom or you're retired, whatever your work, you, whatever you give yourself to, do that as hard as you can with all God's strength and energy. But there needs to come a point during the week when you stop. You stop. And Sabbath is a gift for us to be in joy, to be in joy, not a burden. To be heaped upon us. And that's even what Jesus said a moment ago here, in Mark. We can go to uh, two different extremes on Sabbath. We can go to legalism. And that's, what, that's the issue with the Pharisees. Is, is the issue with the Pharisees is legalism. What they're saying, and I don't necessarily, like from for their perspective, again, they went to an extreme, but like all these rules and laws and regulations, here's what you can do and can't do on the Sabbath. That's how they were trying to flesh out, what does it mean for this day to be different? The issue with the Pharisees was they were saying these rules and regulations, everyone has to do them. And if, not, if you don't do them, then you're wrong. So when we talk about Sabbath, we can go to legalism, and we can make the list: these are things you can do and can't do. And if someone is doing that on the Sabbath that we think it's wrong, we, we with, legal, with a legalistic perspective, we say it's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't mow your grass. That maybe is an example. You might be like, that's work. You don't mow your grass on the Sabbath. But for that person, that might be the most restful thing they can do. I know some of you don't understand that. <laughs> You're like, mow your grass, the rest will think you do. But like, some of us just love it. I mean, I'm, I love it. Lori and I sometimes fight over the lawnmower. <laughs> but like, you know, who's going to mow today, this week? But, but like, so, so that's where legalism, but then we can get this very loose perspective over here, this other extreme, where we just kind of say, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter on the day. This day doesn't matter much. I don't care. There's no sense of like, holy distinctness to this day. So we don't want to go to either extreme. What we want to talk about is kind of a balanced, middle-of-the-road perspective. So what does it look like for you and I in a 24-hour block of time? Even as I say that, 24-hour block of time. Some of you right now in your season of life or circumstances at work, like you can't do 24 hours. Like that's just not possible. And I want to say there's grace there. Like sometimes it just doesn't happen in those hours, but... Where are, if it can't happen in those 24 hours, where are those moments during a week when you are pausing, we are stopping, and we'll talk even more about a framework. And the framework I want to talk about, again, I'm not going to tell you what to do or don't do, but I want to just provide a framework that you can build what Sabbath maybe looks like for you in, for what I would call elements, and they're not mine. I didn't come up with these. I'll let you know right up front I didn't um, um, come up with these, but these are from a book, a um, uh, book I'm reading and, um, and really enjoying. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader uh, by Pete Scazzaro, who's a pastor in Queens, New York. And he talks about four elements of Sabbath that help us, the framework to build what we do on, on as a practicing Sabbath. First is stop. That's literally what the word means. Sabbath means to cease, stop. For the farmers, you stop what you're doing. You don't get on the tractor. You don't till the soil. You don't take care of it. You stop. If you're a banker, you don't do your banking responsibilities. You just stop. You stop. It's a different day. It's different than the rest of the week. It's different than the rest of the hours of the week. And here's what, uh, again, Pete in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, talks about as it relates to stopping. He says, Sabbath is first and foremost a day we cease all work, paid and unpaid. The Sabbath, here's that idea of limits. On the Sabbath, we embrace limits. You and I have limits. We all have limits we embrace those limits we let go of the illusion that we are indispensable to the running of the world wait a minute i'm not going to do anything for 24 hours and the world keeps going god knows what he's doing yes he invites you and i into it but he will keep things going when we're not doing what we call might call meaningful work it keeps going we recognize our uh, goal, uh, we will never finish all our goals and projects and that God is on his throne managing quite well, running the universe without our help. It's this sense of trust, this sense of dependency that, okay, God, you, I'm gonna trust that you got it. I'm gonna leave that stuff at the office. I'm gonna not check email. I'm gonna not respond to those messages. God, you, I'm gonna trust that you got it. For me as a pastor, again, one of the things I do is I preach, I prepare sermons. So what does this look like for me? To cease, to stop, as it relates to preaching. So one of the things I do is I, I prepare uh, messages and sermons, write a manuscript, and on Thursday evening when I'm done, I put it in my Bible and I put it away. I'm not working on my sermon, I'm not editing a manuscript on Friday. I take Fridays off, take Saturdays off, I'm with my family. It's different, it's a different day, different days. And I pick it back up again, usually right before I go to bed on Saturday and then early Sunday morning. It's saying, God, I trust that what I did over those four days in the office and what I put on this manuscript, God, and obviously I'll, I tweak it. I have a lot of notes here even from this morning, but I just trust God, okay. And I need to, I need to rest from that, stop that. So I don't know what it might look like for you, even, again, middle school students or maybe even some high school students or even some adults, you know, what's that day look like different? Maybe it's not playing Fortnite for four, six hours uh, a week. If you don't have a teenager, you have no idea what Fortnite or PUBG is, but it is like the rage right now. It's the big video game, but maybe this day is different and now all these teenagers are going to hate me. Like Pastor Tom said, don't play Fortnite on the Sabbath. Um, No, if that's for you, but how is this day different for us? The next thing is rest. We need to rest. And it's more than taking a nap. But for some of you, a nap might be the most holy thing you need to do (laughs) on the Sabbath. But I want you to know it doesn't mean just take a nap. (laughs) Pete, again, in his book says, once we stop, we accept God's invitation to rest. God rested after his work of creation. Every seventh day, we are to do the same. We engage, and this is the key to rest. We engage in activities that restore and replenish us. That's where for someone to say mowing the grass, and I'm sorry, I keep using that, but that's like for someone to say, that's work on this app, but for someone that is the most restoring activity, especially if their work is mostly sitting at a desk and not maybe using their hands necessarily, getting their hands dirty and the ground and, and those, but like that might be the most restorative act of the week to push that mower for an hour. But for some of us, it's not. It depletes us. So that's where what, what we engage in activities that restore. So what restores your soul? From napping to hiking, and again, this is not exactly eating, reading a good book, enjoying hobbies, playing sports. What restores your soul? You also have to get out what depletes you. And to be careful about having those types of activities or experiences. Uh, again, you can't control everything. There's, you know, things happen, but, but what depletes you? So rest. The next is delight. That's where, again, Sabbath is a gift. It's to be enjoyed. It's delight. It's a part of observing Sabbath. God invites you and I into a celebration to enjoy and delight in creation. And all the gifts that he offers us, the, the, these innumerable gifts come to us in many forms, not just one form. But as we, as we are engaged and we're looking at a day and experience, and we're saying, God, I'm delighting in these people, the places you go, the things you get to do. And to do this, as we delight, we have to slow down. There was one pastor I read who pastors a church in a very urban context, a lot of cars on the highway, a lot of busy uh, things. And, and he says one of the things he does to slow down on what we call his Sabbath is he stays in the right-hand lane on the highway. <laughs> Think about that. Like like imagine trying. Like tomorrow you can meet to Cleveland if you go up there. Like stay in the right-hand lane. How's that going to work for you? It's going to annoy you like crazy. (laughs) But this pastor, he says, I want this day to be different. So I'm not going to rush to where I'm trying to get. But I'm going to stay. I'm going to discipline myself to stay in the right-hand lane and just slowly get to where I'm going. Because this day, I want to delight. I want to enjoy. I want to be present. And then the last one is contemplate. We think, we ponder, we reflect, we contemplate who God is. We read his word. We pray. We read good books. We talk to friends. And that's what this idea of contemplate. We pondering, Pete goes on to say, pondering the love of God is central focus of Sabbaths. What makes a Sabbath a biblical Sabbath is that it's holy to the Lord. We're not taking time off from God, but we are drawing through activities, through disciplines, through practices. We are drawing closer to him. Sabbath is an invitation to see the invisible God in the visible, to recognize the hidden ways that God's goodness is at work in our lives every day, to slow our lives down and to ponder the gifts of God in our lives. From maybe, maybe that past week, that past day, but to slow down and to delight and to contemplate who God is. This provides just a little bit of a framework for you and I of how we might flesh out. Sabbaths will look different for each of us because we're all different people. This is a part of Sabbath, of gathering together like this. We learn together. So I encourage you, what might it look like? Let me just just offer this one last illustration even to kind of illustrate what am I look like? You and I, let's just say this cup represents our lives and you and I give a lot out every single week. Whether we're a student, we're a stay-at-home mom, we're retired, we're running our own company, we give a lot out every week. We have doctor's appointments and we have emails to respond to and we have uh, stress that comes up in our lives. We have kids to raise, we have a house to take care of, we have decisions to make. We have a lot of things happening. We are giving a lot every, even in a normal week. And we give out a lot. And what happens? We empty ourselves out. And the challenge of Sabbath, or the invitation of Sabbath, is to continually in the midst of a week pause and say, you know what? I've given a lot this week. And I need to be refilled. I need to be replenished. I need to be filled back up again so that I can give back out again for the next week. And that is the rhythm of our lives as followers of Jesus. One of the most famous Psalms, probably in all of 150 Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. What does He make me do? Lie down. Maybe to take a nap. Maybe to slow down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's a a feeding there that takes place in green, lush pastures in the midst of a desert, which that's the context of Psalm 23. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. And what does he do there? Restores my soul. That's the invitation of Sabbath for you and I, to be people that are restored on a, re- on a regular basis so that we can give back out to those around us, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. Let's embrace this practice. Let me pray for us. And then we'll hear our announcements and wrap up today. So God, I want to thank you for Mark chapter two, um, the last verses there, and into chapter three. And God, I pray you keep us humble and teachable, um, keep our hearts soft. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be like the Pharisees that can easily have that stubborn and hard heart. God, maybe there are some things, um, boxes we've put you in, I said this is the way God should work and do things. But maybe through circumstances, your word—I don't know other. Th- situations you're kind of dismantling those boxes and you're expanding our vision of who you are knowledge of who you are what we believe and how we live so keep us humble soft like those new refreshed wineskins and god help us embrace this practice known as sabbath we all need it every single one of us So help us to know what this looks like, to practice it and experience it and figure it out, experiment with it. I'm thankful it's a gift. It's a gift to be enjoyed. So help us be these people, types of people that practice this. It's a day different. It's a time different. Would you restore our souls? And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.